Welcome. Welcome to Trinity. It is a joy to be able to gather together. We get to gather, to sing, and to pray, and to hear the word, to be encouraged, to fellowship together, knowing that God has provided a way for us in Christ and is with us by the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. What a joy. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open that Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. So we continue looking uh, piece by piece, if you will, will at uh, the armor of God, finding it to be uh, on full display in the personal work of Christ, and, and hopefully from that being greatly encouraged in our hearts and in our faith to live in light of all that we have in Jesus and all that Jesus is for us. We're going to look at uh, today uh, the sword of the Spirit, and so we're going to read verse 13. And to kind of get the context of the call that Paul is, is saying here in this look at the armor of God. And then look at the last part of verse 17. So it'll all be on the screen. It should make sense uh, as we read through it. And let's hear God's word. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that it would find a home in our hearts, that the Spirit would do good work in us to help us to trust it and to believe it and to, to cling to it and to know it and to live in light of it. So we pray that you'd be with us as we consider it together this morning. All to your glory and to our good, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. For many centuries, the church summarized the enemies of the soul as this sort of threefold picture. The world, the flesh, and the devil. You would find it over the centuries in theological works. You would see that expression in sermon manuscripts. You would find it among the personal correspondence of pastors and theologians to those that were writing with them. The phrase, the world, the flesh, and the devil served as the shorthand for the temptations and challenges the follower of Jesus would face in this life. Many passages informed that short summary statement, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But we don't have to leave Ephesians to find one such passage. In Ephesians chapter 2, the very beginning of that chapter, we see these three on display. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. It's an overwhelming cabal uh, against our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil, it threatens the soul with infinite loss. And these enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, requires God to overtake them. But good news, he does. He does through Jesus and by the Spirit. And that good news continues to mark the life of the believer. As the world and the flesh and the devil continue their threatening ways. And we find that encouragement here with the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit gives us this good news. Because of the sword of the Spirit, you and I who are following Christ through faith in Him and His life, death, and resurrection, walking in newness of life in this broken, fallen world, 
we can face the circumstances of this broken, fallen world. We can do that because of the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit enables us to face these three enemies of the soul. The sword of the Spirit enables us to face the world around. And the sword of the Spirit enables us to face the flesh within. And the sword of the Spirit enables us to face the devil who schemes. We would have no hope apart from all that God has supplied for us. These enemies of the soul are too much for us, but not for God. And here, by looking at the sword of the Spirit, we see what we have been given to face these in our lives as we follow Jesus through faith in his life, death, and resurrection. And so hopefully we'll be encouraged in that this morning to take up this sword that God has so graciously provided us. Let's take a time, let's take some time to walk through that. Let's consider how the sword of the Spirit enables us and then enables us to face the world around, the flesh within, and the devil, devil who schemes. So first of all, we find that the, the, spirit, the sword of the Spirit enables us to face the world around by giving us truth that counters temptation. By giving us the truth that counters temptation. I want to get into that, but I want to walk through some groundwork here by answering a couple of questions. What is the sword and whose is the sword? And then talk about how that then is giving to us truth that, encounter, that counters temptation. So first of all, what is the sword? Thankfully, we don't have to speculate. Our verse makes it very clear. The sword is the word of God. The scriptures, the Bible, that which you hold, that which you read, that which you study, that which you think deeply upon, that which you pray through, that word is the sword of the Spirit. The word of God reveals to us some important things. The truth, in short. The truth about what? Well, the word of God reveals to us the truth about the character of God and the promises of God. And the power of God. And the presence of God. And the gospel of God. And all of that to the people of God. For the glory of God. The word is revealing these things to us. In a world that seeks to disorient us. With a dizzying array of options. The word is presenting us. With, with, with remarkable clarity. The truth about these things of God. The word tells us the truth of God. The truth of our hearts. The truth of this world. The truth of evil. And the truth of salvation. So any hope of facing the world around is going to be rooted and tied to our clinging to this, the word, and all that it reveals. Not only that, but the word brings forth things in our lives. First of all, the, the word brings eternal life. The word brings eternal life. John 6, 63 and 68, Jesus is helping us understand. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are a spirit of life. 
And then Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so the Spirit is bringing the words of Christ into our lives to bring forth life. This is what we have. And so if we want to face the world around, we need to cling to truth that counters temptation. We need to cling to the truth that the Word of God brings eternal life. The Word of God also brings equipping for life. How to live out our lives in light of the world, the flesh, and the devil equips us. Perhaps maybe your head already went to this passage in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, every bit of it, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That you would be equipped to live out your faith in this world, the world around you, that's offering you a dizzying array of options. So that you are equipped. And the word is not only brings eternal life, and not only equipping for life, but the word also brings encouragement in life. Encouragement in life. Encouragement to endure. All this is happening when we set our heads and our hearts on it. Look at Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The world around can be overwhelming. The flesh within can be weak and wobbly. And the devil seems so fierce. And the word of God is bringing to us encouragement to endure such things. This is what we have in the word. Something that brings eternal life. Something that equips us for life. Something that encourages us in life. That's the first question, some groundwork for hopefully our encouragement today. Second question is, whose is the sword? Thankfully, we don't have to speculate. The passage is very clear. It's the spirits. The sword belongs to the spirit. And a number of us who were in the class before this morning should be able to answer this pop quiz test for those who are in that class. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the person of God, bringing the power and presence of God to the people of God, for the glory of God. Let's go back to that passage that was for our, encourage, or for our equipping. Look again at 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Breathed out by God. What is that making you think? Well, it's, it's leading us to see that the Holy Spirit is the one at work and bringing forth the word. The Spirit brings forth the word, inspires it. Therefore, if the Spirit is operating, bringing forth the word, then the Spirit is the best one to rely upon to illuminate it to our hearts, to illuminate it to our minds, to, to illuminate it to our lives. If the Spirit brings it forth, then the Spirit can make it find a home in our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit's sword. 
And what do we know about the Spirit? Well, Jesus actually said quite a bit about the Spirit, especially in the last hours of his life, before he was betrayed and arrested and handed over and then murdered on a cross. Before all of that happened, he, he told us a lot about the Spirit. And I want to move through a number of those things fairly quickly, but, but the point of it moving with a little pace, is just so that you see the overwhelming scope and nature of all that is provided in the Word of God as we see it as being the sword of the Spirit. And what we find is that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. From John chapter 14 through 16, we find a number of passages that help us better understand the Spirit. So look at, with me, John 14, verses 16 and 17, it says this, Jesus speaking, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Or John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16, 8 through 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you shall see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. John 16, 13 and 14. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me and he will take what is mine and declaring it to you. The Holy Spirit's role and operation and work that's happening in our lives is, is telling us the truth. The truth of Jesus, the truth of all of God's purposes wrapped up in the person and work of Christ and why that means everything for us and to us. Telling us the truth. And it's when we see what the word is and whose this sword belongs to, when we see those dynamics at play, then we finally understand and hopefully grow in understanding how the word really is our means of countering the temptation of the world around That this is what God has provided for us to counter the temptation of the world around. Now, let's zero in a little bit more about this. What is a sword that might be in Paul's mind? Well, as the world encroaches our hearts with temptations to bail on God, we are being reminded of all that God has given us, one in defense but also one for offense. The sword in mind for Paul is actually a shorter blade. Maybe not something that's like really long sword that you have to unsheath. It takes you like five minutes to get it all the way out. It's a short blade. Actually used for close combat. When things got really real and really near. And it's also in the list of things that we find here in the armor of God. The only weapon that's for offense. The only piece of equipment that is an offense weapon. Now, this offensive weapon isn't necessarily to be used offensively, but it is nonetheless to be used. Since the nature of the word is the truth, and the work of the Holy Spirit is truth, 
We see that the sword is to be well used in a world offering lies and half-truths and all sorts of misdirections. It is to be well used, super familiar with, to be incredibly handy with. That it would be something that we would see seriously as a means by which our hearts can be strengthened to face temptations in the world around. That we read it and study it and think deeply on it and pray through it, prayerfully apply it to our lives. That we read it, I'll say that again, and study it and think deeply on it. So you're not reading and studying, you're just thinking on the things of which you've read and studied. You're allowing that to just sort of rattle around in your head and your heart. And then you begin prayerfully applying it to your lives. You're trusting the Spirit to be at work in you, applying the truths of Scripture to your head, to your heart, to your very life. Because the world around is offering you lies outright. They're offering you half-truths, and they're giving you all sorts of misdirection. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. To equip your heart to face such challenges would be to set your heart in and on the word. And to fill your heart with the word. Not as a duty or a spiritual obligation to check off like you did your time. And now you can go about doing whatever you want with the rest of your day. To allow the word of God to dwell in you richly. That it actually sort of permeates in your thoughts and your affections. Rather than a checklist. Because then it shapes the way that we look at life and live it out. Forgive me. In what was probably a ridiculous movie about the Revolutionary War. I've not seen it in a long time. But there's one scene in it that has stuck with me for a very, very long time. From the movie The Patriot. A seasoned father and his ambitious teenage son stood looking out a huge picture window from inside an abandoned mansion. Out on the rolling fields were lined up from each other the British Army and the militia of revolutionaries. These two stood in that room looking out that big window and watched the absurdity of it all as these two armies took turns lining up in front of each other to shoot each other. The son's worldview had gotten crushed in that very moment. He was racing to join that very militia when the father was able to intercept him. And they stood there, and the father reinforced what he had been trying to tell his son. This is not the way. This is not the way that this is to go. This is not the way that this is going to win this war. Similarly, the Spirit enables us to face the world around by working in our hearts with the word so as to reveal to us the absurdity of the world and to reinforce to us this 
is not the way. The Spirit is at work in us through the word as we read it, as we study it, as we think deeply on it, as we prayerfully apply it. At first, it's going to be startling as it crushes our worldview, if you will, but then helps us see the way and the truth and the life. This is how we counter the temptations of the world around. This is what the weapon is for. Actually to do that work in us. So as to be able to say no to the temptations of outright lies, half-truths, and all sorts of misdirections. And as it does that work, we realize that this sword, this sword cuts both ways. You think of a sword as something that goes out from you against someone or something else. But seeing as this sword belongs to the spirit, it cuts the other way too. It cuts, it cuts inwardly also. And that's what we find in the second point is that the sword of the spirit not only enables us to face the world around, but also enables us to face the flesh within the flesh within. It's truth that then convicts the heart. Because sometimes our hearts run complicit with the world's advances. That we get sucked in and we lose our way. And so the sword of the spirit cuts a different direction. Cuts through all of those calluses of flesh around our heart. Cuts surgically with overwhelming precision. To bring healing and restoration to our hearts that can be so wayward. Same word for sword of the spirit here in Ephesians 6. We find again in Hebrews 4. And maybe your, maybe your head and your heart went to that verse also. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The sword of the spirit can cut through all all manner of calluses that might be on our hearts. There is no tough skin, too tough for this sword. It just cuts through it all. It cuts to the root of sin in our lives, not just the fruit of sin in our lives. Take that illustration and run with it with me. Think about a tree that has fruit all over it. And let's say that fruit is rotten. All that fruit is rotten, or a lot of that fruit is rotten, or some of that fruit is rotten. And it, clearly, there's something about the tree that's not healthy. Getting rid of the rotten fruit isn't necessarily going to do anything about that tree, is it? Just taking the fruit off isn't going to do a thing about it. And, and Velcroing or, or gluing on good fruit to the tree isn't really going to do anything either, is it? Eventually, that fruit will give way to rottenness because it's not being sourced by anything that's giving it life. In order to really care for that, I'm sure there are many things. I'm not an arborist. Don't take the analogy too far and correct me, you arborists out there. Just run with it as the point of the preacher is doing here. Obviously, you got to get to a deeper level. Specifically, we are saying here, we got to get to the root. 
something unhealthy deeper down is the problem. And guess what? The sword of the spirit is the surgical tool, tool to get to that problem. So we get to the root. And there seems to be three main kinds of root diseases that bring about bad fruit in our lives. And the sword of the spirit can get down to those roots, those main kinds of diseased roots. One of them, I would say, maybe chiefly among them, is the root of unbelief. The root of unbelief. In which we doubt God can or God will. That operating deep down in the root systems of our heart is this belief of unbelief. A belief that God can't and he won't do the things that you're desperate for. And therefore the bad fruit in our lives uh, that can show up in our lives that we try to be in control of everything in our lives because underneath of that effort of control is really a heart that doesn't believe God's in control. The fruit is a problem but the root system is the, the main problem. Sometimes we doubt God can or God will. We question his power or his awareness of our lives. That things happen around us or to us that leave us hurting or cold or alone. And we wonder why God or where are you God? And that deep root system produces all sorts of fruit in our lives. That that lead us further away from God, not in, into his grace and into his mercy. Another root system that might be at work is rebellion. Just outright rebellion. Rejecting God in his ways. Sometimes we know what is right. We do know what is true. We do know what is good. And we just in that moment simply do not care. We toss it aside to binge on what the world has offered. And so, what can cut through all of that? But the sword of the Spirit. It can cut through all of those things that we put up. All these defense mechanisms to hide the mask and mask the thing that really at the underneath of it all is just we're outright rebelling against God. We rejected His ways. A third root system that might be there operating is ignorance. That we are unaware of God and his ways. Sometimes we don't know better because we're either young in our faith and it's just part of growing and maturing, or sometimes we don't know better because we're, we do know enough to know if we let God in too close, he messes up with our lives. And we kind of like the things that we got going on. And so we keep God's stuff far enough away. We're close enough to feel like we did our, our duty, but we keep him far enough away to not mess up the stuff that we have in control or at least in comfort. And so we want to live out that ignorance is bliss sort of way of life. I think those three disease root systems are really operating in profound ways underneath it all. Guess what? God has given us the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God to cut through all of it. Whether it's the issues of unbelief to bring surgical care and healing and restoration. Whether it's the, the root system of of rebellion to bring surgical care and healing and restoration, or if it's the uh, willful or just the, the nature of growth and maturity, er, levels of ignorance in us, that the Spirit of God, through the Word, is bringing that surgical care of healing and restoration. 
And so what we do when we have the word is we need to walk ourselves through a process. We need to walk ourselves through a process. We need to ask ourselves a number of questions. First is, what fruit of sin is frequent in your life? What fruit of sin is frequent in your life? Ask yourself that question. Are you a hard and harsh person? Are there several kinds of temptations that seem to overtake you? Are there things that are frequent in your life? The frequent ones. Then ask yourself, what root system seems to be the source of such fruit? What is it? Is it unbelief? Is it rebellion? Is it ignorance? Whatever that might be, then you want to bring your attention uh, to that, that, that root system and go into God's word answering this question, what scriptural truth confronts that root system? What scriptural truth confronts that root system? Now, a couple of ways about that. One, it, I'm not going to discourage you. I'm going to encourage you to, yes, indeed, memorize scripture. But I'm not saying just simply memorize a verse to counter that truth. Though that can be part of the whole process. But it's not the only part of the process. Rather, help your, help your heart know the, the big picture of truth. And as you're doing that, you're reinforcing your heart. Whether it's unbelief or rebellion or ignorance or a little concoction of all three. These kinds of things. What does scripture say about who God is? As you read God's word, no matter where you're at in God's word, what does scripture say about who God is? Secondly, what does scripture say about what God does? What does God do? In creation, in providence, in redemption, in one day restoration. Reinforce those truths to your heart. And then thirdly, then you say, what does scripture say about who we are? Well, we are recipients of God's grace. We are sinners made alive. Like, start reinforcing the truth about what Scripture says, who you are. And then, only then, after you walk through those three, then start asking, what does Scripture say about how, I, how we are to live? What does Scripture say about how we are to live? Now, yes, there will be certain scriptures and certain passages that will just be so like a clarion call for your head and your heart. And you're going to hold on to them and they're going to be like a meal for you. And that's awesome. But also know the totality of what scripture is doing and revealing and saying. And why you need the whole idea of scripture also to fortify your heart. To bring that surgical care to the flesh within. This is what we are enabled with in the sword of the spirit to face the world around and the flesh within. And then that leads us to the third point and, and by way of encouragement, because all of that's going to feel overwhelming. All of it will feel overwhelming in, in so many ways that, that maybe you feel overwhelmed that you don't know where to even start with God's word. Start with gospel, John. Get into the Psalms. Maybe you feel like I've wasted many years and you feel a little bit of shame. It's okay. 
whatever, however many years you have left are great years to care for your heart with a word of truth. Take up and read and study. Think deeply on. Talk with others about it. Prayerfully apply it. And then be encouraged with this. We're enabled to face the world around. We're enabled to face the flesh within. We're enabled to face the devil who schemes why. Well, first of all, it's truth that conquers the devil. It's truth that conquers the devil. Because sometimes it feels a little too much for us that this battle with the world around and the flesh within, it just seems to be unrelenting. Like there's some nefarious evil exacerbating it all. There is. There is, but, but be encouraged that the sword of the Spirit is actually to drive us to Jesus. Jesus wielded this sword first for us. He brought the victorious blow to this enemy that opposes and schemes against. I want to read two passages. They're a little lengthy. All the words will be on the screen. But I want to read them as an encouragement to you, no matter where you might feel right now in this moment. The first is in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I want you to see the one who opposes, the one who schemes, the devil who schemes, and what he had brought forth in his scheming ways. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may, be, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate and the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. A terrible moment, the worst moment in all of history. The rejection of God and his word and his ways for the lies and half-truths of the devil. Adam failed. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Two remarkable stories. In the garden with 
everything, Adam failed. In the wilderness with nothing, Jesus prevailed. He prevailed for you. Jesus prevailed over an enemy you could not defeat, the devil. Then leader Jesus would prevail over the enemy that you could not defeat, death. And that prevailing over devil and death also says that Jesus prevails over sin. Jesus prevails. So the sword of the Spirit is to drive us to the one who prevails. And when you feel like you are failing, there is one who prevailed for you. And in him, you will find the strength you need to face the world around and the flesh within and the devil who schemes, for he has already overcome them all. And that is yours. And you get to learn about all that and know it and rejoice in it when you read the word and study the word and think deeply on the word. And prayerfully apply the word. Because in Jesus we, like we see in John 16, have the one who has overcome the world. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And in Jesus we have one to face the flesh within. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And we have one in Jesus who has destroyed the works of the devil. First John, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This you have, this story progressing over centuries and people and promises and pictures. It all unfolds in the Bible. And this is your weapon to face the world around, the flesh within, and the devil who schemes. The means by which we face the temptations of the world, the waywardness of the flesh, the opposition of the devil is the word of God dwelling in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as this truth equips, encourages us, guess what? We grow. We grow in making much of Jesus with our lives. Let's pray to that end. God, we thank you for overcoming that which we could never overcome, to give to that which we can never gain. We thank you that you press that home into our hearts by your word through the power of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that what would spur us on all the more is an ever-increasing desire to delight and rest in and rely upon this, your word, the truth, and that it would be for us that it would indeed be for us the means by which we can face the world around and the flesh within and the devil who schemes. We pray it to your glory, to our good. In Christ's name, amen.